0: Welcome to another edition of an Un- plug it as we move towards round three, Darren Parkin here back in the chair after uh, stepping out last week and a big thank you to uh, Philip Deladakis for jumping in to the host chair and doing brilliantly and speaking very forthright on a number of really significant issues. It was uh, well received and, and certainly won't be the last time we, we speak to him. So thank you for uh, for covering so well and um, also to the boys uh, for soldiering on uh, when one soldier had uh, departed the ship last week. Uh, it was a victory that it was a day of frustration ultimately a pretty pleasing win against freeman albert but one that was harder work than it than it needed to be and from a personal point of view, it had kind of shades of 2017 about it, where we would dominate a lot of games and just not, not convert. And it was a game we won by 10 points that we should have won by at least seven goals on the balance of the game. We were completely dominant uh, through the first half with inside 50 differential. We had countless shots, even in the last quarter, we could have potentially buried the game. But Great to get away with it. I guess that was a negative. There was plenty of positives and obviously Max King, a, a match-winning performance, and Jack Higgins responding to the disappointment of the week before. I thought everybody on the most part played pretty pretty well with a couple of exceptions, but we'll, we'll work through that later. It was, it was pleasing to win it because obviously we've got a, a tricky but winnable match this week. You wouldn't want to be entering that at zip and two, and it gives us a, a chance to build a bit of momentum with plenty to still improve. We must convert better when we go inside 50, if we are to win enough games to play finals this year, uh, Nick, your uh, assessment of it, obviously you and H uh, watched that one together in, uh, in McKinnon and it, it was hard work, but, um, but one that felt pretty satisfying in the end.
1: It it was hard work. It was hard work to watch the game. So I can only hmm. imagine how hard it must've been to be out there, but you know, the, the game itself was, was tough. It was ugly. It was not fun, but, reality is that an interstate victory is always valuable no matter how you get it who it's against where it is that those those games interstate are tough uh free over there's always tough and it's always nice to, to get a win over there in front of what is a you know, a really decent sized fan base over in perth uh, and, and they must have been wrapped to be able to see a win
0: and we've never won at that venue before. We've obviously our last win in Perth was twenty seventeen against Fremantle. We've never won at Optus, so good to tick that box as well. H and we've we've usually played okay there. We've we've lost some close games at the venue, but um, you're yeah, good to get the result.
2: Yeah, we've we seem to be competitive. We've found a couple of times there. We've almost been there at the end, but they've just pulled like West Coast just pulled away against us one time in the end, and it, it it's not. A place we find, I guess, too scary to play. Um, some teams, I think, really dread going there. Sometimes, they they can turn it on in Melbourne, and then, then head over there and turn it into an absolute rabble. It's it's we we haven't played bad football. It's it's I don't know whether it's a, the similarity between maybe Marvel and there being a bit of a harder surface, uh, the dry the drier ground at the same time. Um, conditions don't phase us too much at times it seems so um luckily the weather wasn't it wasn't a scorching hot day there like Perth can turn on sometimes so that played to our advantage a little bit it um Frio obviously missing a few players Um I think if if I had Fife if they had Mundy that sort of thing we may have been in a little bit of trouble because yeah they might may have, they, they turn it on for 10-15 minutes themselves and that counters the 10, 15 minutes so we absolutely dominated them so it's a it's a fact of it's lucky but so many things went our way mm. that on the day that got us the four points so as I say take the four points get home and, and that's that, that's all you can do if we came back without the points I think it might have it probably would have hurt and I think we would be doing a bit of a different pod tonight
0: yeah definitely
1: you mentioned the, um, the inside 50 differential and, and you're right. And that, that first half we we dominated and I think it was really just, you know, it, it was a, a very St Kilda performance in that, you mm. know, we'd get our hands on the ball plenty. You know, we dominated the clearances. I think by the end of the game with, it was 37, 26 clearances, but we dominated them in the middle as well. Like at, at the center clearances, um, we had a lot more of the ball, but just some disgusting decision-making and, and terrible execution that I guess we're, we're known for, you know, it's been that way for donkey's years. Um, I I just don't know. I don't know how we can get out of this, this routine of, of being able to win the ball fine, but dispose of it terribly. Um, But, but really like H said, it's kind of lucky that, that Frio didn't put their foot down for a bit longer. And it was only that they were worse than us for a little bit longer than us. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but basically, and and it reminded me a little bit of yeah, a, a lot of these previous performances from from years gone by, and and it's where stats can be deceiving. I know the coaching group ha- have been asked about that last week. I think after the Collingwood game about our con- creating scores when we go forward, and they said, "Oh, you look, our numbers are about where the AFL average is," but that the numbers don't tell you what you, you're seeing with your eyes. That may well be the case, but we slaughter uh, so many inside fifties, and we do it mm-hmm. so often. It's not a it's not a once off it's, it's, it's a problem. And it's, it's the difference. It'll hold us back from winning, you know, eight or nine games as opposed to winning 12 or 13. And it's, it'll be the difference between us having a percentage of 110 and a percentage of 98, because when we win games, we'll win them by 15 points, 11 points, 14 points. I made the comment on Twitter that it feels like we have to absolutely dominate a team to beat them um, because we need so many entries and so many shots. Um, Yeah. And, and, it has to be rectified. We're generally a bit better at Marvel in that space. But yeah, to, to me, that's the biggest frustration because where we break down is is where we always break down. And there's got to be a better way to do that, moving the ball forward.
1: It's, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I guess that the difference was in this game is that, you know, we had a third quarter from from Max King where, you know, he, he turned the game on its head. Jack Higgins took his his opportunities and, and took his chances. And I mean, how nice was it to see both of them kind of click into gear in the same mm. game? And if, if that happens more often than not, we'll win more often than not, um, you know, as opposed to relying on one of them to have a big game and, and the other one kind of struggles through. But, you know, if they can both if they can both play pretty consistent footy, then that in itself will, will go a long way to finishing a lot of the good work that happens further up the field.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, it's, it's something that, yeah, you, you tear your hair out. I mean, against Collingwood, when we had the momentum in the third quarter, we, we missed shots. We, we we frequently make situations where we're running into an open goal somehow, an, an inexplicable mistake. And I you know Tim Embry's normally a pretty good kick for goal, but he's obviously missed three that were pretty gettable. Um, even late in the third quarter, after we kicked six in a row or whatever it was, um, we then hit the post I think Gresham hit the post on the run, then we missed two set shots, then another one right at the start of the last quarter. So that kept the game alive instead of drilling it shut and being five and a half goals in front. Um, but yeah, I know that's probably being ultra critical because I think ultimately enough guys played well that it was a, a step in the right direction. But yeah, it's more about how we turn that into, you know, beating a team like Richmond and, and getting on a roll and and pushing ourselves into some form.
2: Yeah, I can I mean, say that. One, one big difference you look at, too, is Freo made a few mistakes going into the forward line. The, mm. the sort of mistakes if Collingwood had made the week before, we would have beaten Collingwood as well. Mm-hmm. They were just so clean against us that week that, that stopping stopping that run that Collingwood had, we, we kind of didn't do it against Freo either. They just didn't hit the target as well.
3: So mm. that,
2: that's where we became lucky also in the fact that they weren't as good using the ball. They weren't as like clean. They weren't as um, using the spaces quite as well. Um, we, we seem to still be hanging back again as we did the week before. I, I felt we were too, too far away from Collingwood the week before. And we're sort of still doing that same zone again. There was no, I guess, putting the pressure up, um, on the back line coming out, they, they still sort of go. There's a player 10 meters that way, the player 10 meters that way. I'll stand in the middle and go stand the mark, whichever one takes the mark. There's yeah. no I'm gonna get up and pressure that one, make them kick out wider. That, yeah. That's it's sort of where you're looking and going. Well, they get again the easier kicks down the middle because we're not pressuring the player in the
1: middle, as opposed to making him yeah, kick out wider. I'd well, prefer. We spoke about it last week and you and I H when we were watching the game, even in that first half, talking about how easy it is for for other clubs to kind of bring the ball out of defense, you know, into the middle of the ground or across half forward uh, against us. And and we have the opposite issues that it's so difficult for us to do the same thing. And, you know, they, they had options almost every time they brought the ball out of defense, whether it was Mm -hmm. Luke Ryan or Brayshaw or or whatever, they always had a guy running off into space that was ready to receive and, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh yeah, I don't know what it is because it can't be a it can't be a coaching issue because this is an issue that we've had for years. <laughs> Again, like disposal, like execution, um, and we never seem to to have that. But I also think that it can't be understated the impacts that it had on both Fremantle and us. Uh, and I know Nathan O'Driscoll kicked kicked a goal when he came on, but Sean Darcy going off was a massive influence and impact on on Fremantle Fremantle's game, and also allowed yeah, a little bit more action around the ground for, for Marshall and, and Hayes.
0: For sure. And I mean, it just it allowed us really to to translate our dominance onto the scoreboard. i sort of had that argument with a lot of Freo fans saying, oh, we're out playing you anyway. It just helped us to translate it. It would have been a bit of a, a false dawn had they have won the game seemingly. But um, yeah. And look, Fremantle had some COVID absences. We still had some players out with, um, with, with injury. I thought our midfield, on the most part, was pretty good. Josh Battle, uh, down back, probably played his um, or close to his best game for the club. I know he's played well in defence before. Um, our defensive unit was pretty good. I thought Webster was was solid. Um, Line it was okay on on in his first game for the uh, the club. But yeah, through the middle, even guys like Seb Ross, I think, was pretty solid. Sinclair Crouch was good. Um, yeah, they all had a Gresham. They all they all had a pretty handy day, and then obviously the forwards took their chances. So. Um, in terms of votes out of that performance. um, So I reckon we probably had 16 or 17 players that I would give a genuine tick to. And, you know, I can, I can give apologies to Brad Crouch. I can give apologies to Ross. I can give apologies to um, Webster, uh, even Marshall, but I thought the three most influential players on the, on the game were the the three that I've given the, the votes to. I gave one vote to Jack Higgins, I gave two votes to Max King and I gave three votes to Josh Battle. I think they were the reason we won the game. Those, those three players for mine. H, how did you sort of see it?
2: Oh, I would have liked to have been able to give about four or five players, one vote and then give mm. a three, but
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Or we I, can make our own rules, do whatever you want.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stick to the, I'll stick to the regular, regular format. So I don't get confused t- telling it up. Um I tossed up between King and uh, T- King and um, Higgins, and I just took Higgins ahead of him. Mac, Max gave us that one big patch where he he looked like he was going to tear the game apart and keep going. We didn't. We saw a little of him before it. We saw a little bit of him after it, but those periods didn't really have a lot of influence. I think I just feel um, Higgins total game was a little bit better than what Max's was. So I gave him the one. Two to break Crouch. I actually really enjoyed what he did on the weekend. I, I thought he, it's probably one of the better games he has played for us. Um, it, at times he didn't feel like um, he was sort of there, but the usage he had, um, there was a few turnovers there, but it got us moving. Um, we, we, felt really stagnant for a few to- for a few moments there, but it, a few times he busted through and picked the ball up and got us moving again. It, it's the sort of thing I think we need it, it, the whole, as with Nick saying and about not being able to move the ball forward. He's not our fastest player by far. He's not, I mean, he's not our best kick in the team, but he just made the team move. He, he pushed us forward and got us moving, and just just gave us that little bit of um, attack that we sort of were missing for most of the game. Um, and three, I had to give to Josh Battle, um, fantastic game. He, he's probably the reason we win. Um, the I think it was was it eight or nine uh, intercept marks in the back in the back fifty. Um, it's a it's an amazing number when you look at it. Um, You think back to play like Goose Maguire. That that's the sort of thing he was doing for us um before he got injured.
1: 13 Um, marks and 13 intercepts.
2: Um I think yeah, nine of them were in the back in the back 50, though, which was it's a number you don't see from a lot of defenders. Uh it's the rebound, the just just stopping their attack. Um it's the sort of game that that that's what we wanted from him. We go and you've got a job and he went and did it and then, and, and we couldn't, we could not have asked for any more from him on the weekend. That's a like almost 100% game from him.
1: Yeah. It's pretty hard to disagree with both of you there. I, I have disagreed with you both on the one vote though. I think like you both said, there's there's any number of guys that, that you could give a vote to or a couple of votes to. And, and my apologies uh, to Brad Hill, 30 touches, four score involvements, 540 metres gained. I thought he was pretty good. Um, Jack Sinclair, 25 touches, six tackles, six clearances, five inside 50s, having an impact both in the middle, um, at at ground level in the clinches, but also out in space, uh, out in the wing and and across half forward as well. Uh, Jack Higgins, an apology. I thought he was very good and very close. But uh, one out of left field, I gave one vote to Dan McKenzie. I thought it was probably his best game for the club. And we spoke Mm -hmm. last week, H, about... Um, you know, when we win the ball across halfback and we stop and we prop and we wait and we look for another option and, and whatever. But Dan McKenzie, I thought, was one of the few players last week that took the game on that would take possession and run and look forward and look for a look for another option forward of centre uh, and look to make an impact dynamically, uh, offensively off halfback. I thought he was very good. 19 touches, seven intercepts, five inside 50s, 400 metres gained, 490 metres gained, I should say. Um, and I thought that was probably his best game. And I, I really feel like he's, he's a, a, a certain best 22 player these days. I think yeah. that he has to be picked because of his versatility. He can play a number of roles across halfback, uh, push up to the wing, back pocket, et cetera, he can play run with roles. Um, and, and, but he was just one of the few that in that first half was looking to make things happen across halfback and take the game on and, and have an impact um, offensively. I have two votes to Max King. Uh stat-wise, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the complete performance by any means, as you mentioned, H, but uh, I thought his third quarter just kind of pulled the game away from Frio uh, and, and was the turning point for us. It, it was the reason we won the game. Uh, and the three votes to Josh Battle uh, was probably the reason we were still in the game to that point uh, and allowed Max King to do some of that work uh, inside forward 50. I thought you're both right. It's probably Battle's best game um and was just everywhere in, in the back half for us and um you know when, when we talk about we needed a big another big body defender to help guys like Dougal Howard out um in, in the back half that's exactly what we were talking about intercept mark reading the ball uh being able to be that that kind of second or third man to a contest and, and impact impact the contest in the air be able to distribute by foot and by hand really well which we know he can do um just yeah, it was it was a complete a complete game from Josh Battle. So three for him.
0: Yeah, that that last quarter, I think, especially when we're under siege a bit, when they were getting a bit of momentum, he was pivotal in that. And yeah, I, I like all of those comments. And I think yeah, Brad Hill's almost there. I think I know it's only been a couple of games, but he's been a bit inconsistent. I think the, the last two weeks, the first two weeks of this season, he's been a really good contributor and. Um, obviously playing that mixed role between mainly halfback but a bit through the middle and um, getting the type of numbers and you know run and carry that we we hope we get from him all the time so it's been a a pleasing start to the the year for him a man who was racking up big numbers for a long long time Uh, when we think of the number three a lot of people in the modern generation would immediately go to somebody like a you know a a jack or a or go to nathan burke or players along those particular lines but if you go back uh three or four generations to the the 1960s one of the finest players ever to wear that number across any club joins us on the on the podcast this week and i speak of ross smith
3: it was the performance of Ross Smith in winning the Brownlow Medal. The third St Kilda win in as many years. Smith would captain and coach the club in years ahead and is revered as one of the true champions of the red, white and black.
1: Smith eventually gets the kick, it's a high one. Price comes out to get it, uh, Richardson comes in. Richardson had it but
2: he's lost it to
3: Smith and St Kilda. He was the limelight, he uh, didn't want to have a high profile but I was possibly one of the finest persons that I had the pleasure of coaching He's a very talented little player. He, uh, he mightn't have been as polished as some of the great rovers, but he was a desperate player. He had enormous courage and he was a great leader uh, in the club and uh, his quiet manner. And uh, now Rossi's possibly the finest person that I had the pleasure of coaching in.
0: Well, there are three players that have on their CV that they are a premiership player with St Kilda and a Brownlow medalist. One of them is Verdon Howe, one of them is Ian Stewart, and one of them is Ross Smith, who joins us now. 222 games with the club, also coached St Kilda in 1977, won the best and fairest twice, was captain for three years. Captain Victoria won a premiership as coach over in the West with Subiaco and is in the Australian Football Hall of Fame and, of course, a starring member of that 1966 premiership team, winning the Brownlow the year after in 67. Ross, thanks for, for joining us.
3: My pleasure, Darren.
0: Now, when you, I guess, hear those sorts of accolades, how often does it sort of come back into your, to your mind, some of those moments, whether it's the grand final, whether it's the Brownlow? Because it is a very, very impressive CV.
3: I guess it's the premiership which you remember most because that, that's a, a team affair and I've got some very good friends with whom I played. You mentioned Bob Murray uh, and I see him sort of at least annually. We have a, an annual game of golf with uh, he and Jeff Moran. Both of us, the three of us played in the grand final. We played with another St Kilda player, Paul Callery, and have, have a great day. But it's great to get together with those guys and uh, quite a number of us got together just before Christmas to go up and see Cowboy Neil up in Wodonga. And it was just good to get together, talk over old times. And we kicked further and took higher marks than we did uh, previously. But no, it's just good to get together with that group of guys.
1: Ross, you're uh, known as, as probably the best rover in the history of St Kilda Football Club, as as, uh, as says the St Kilda website. Um, how does it make you feel you averaged 25 disposals a game uh, over the course of a season in two seasons of your entire career. How does it make you feel watching, uh, I guess, players now that are averaging, you know, 35, 37, 40 touches a week?
3: Oh, look, I think it's just a part of the evolution of the game and the way in which the game is played, uh, that the players go on and off the ground now. So I don't know whether I would have adapted to, to being taken off for a little while. But, uh, uh, look, I think it's just the the way in which the game is played, that uh, the there's more handballs and there's a more sort of... Uh, um, handball and then backing up for handball and so on. And, and I think within the space of what t- 10 seconds, you've got three or four possessions.
2: Hmm. So going back to the start of your career, sort of where did you start with football? Did you start at a very early age? Did you pick it up lot very early on? And then how did that progress? How did you, what did you go through to then end up at the club?
3: I, I was a bit, a bit of a late starter because I had quite a number of uh, activities in in my youth. And I was a member of the Boy Scout group, uh, which was a very uh, active scout group, uh, but I didn't play uh, in uh, football until I was uh, 14 years of age. Uh, And my school teacher at the time said, oh, look, he was coaching the under-19 team, which played just up the road from the school. He said, oh, look, I'd like you to come up and have a game with us. And so I went up, played with the Hampton Scouts, as they were called then. They're now known as the Hampton Rovers, but Hampton Scouts at the time and we went on to win the premiership in the under-19 competition. So I started as a 14-year-old and, and played until I was uh, uh, 18. I played for four years there. And, and that was my start. And then I went to St Kilda at the end of my secondary school. I went to uh, St Kilda after, because I, I lived in, in St Kilda's area. I was zoned to St Kilda. I was an avid uh, Essendon fan and I'd go with my brother and sister to watch the uh, Essendon each day because I had an auntie and uncle who lived near the ground out there. Uh, and loved, loved the football, but uh, I was uh, zoned to St Kilda. And it was probably a good thing because at the time, St Kilda was just starting uh, its development as a team. Uh, Alan Jeans was in his first year as coach, and there was about four or five of us who were vying for roving positions. And, and I was fortunate enough to, I played one game in the seconds, and then I played in the, in the seniors.
0: Uh, it's been an amazing journey. Your your second game or your first game was Alan Jeans' second game as as coach. We, we would lose that game to Essendon at Windy Hill, but you'd play in six wins in a row after that. We'd make the finals for the first time in 22 years. What was it like in the in that first year? You had a young coach that went on to be a legend of the club, and you had a lot of players that went on to be legends of the club. Did it feel like the group was going somewhere?
3: Yes, yes I think it was. Uh, I think that 61 was uh, was the start of the era. Uh, for the genes era but i think it was sort of in 63 when uh, uh, i think it was when uh, uh, bob murray uh, Carl dittrich baldock came in 62 so we were gradually developing uh, a team uh, that was going to uh, feature in finals Uh, and we played in the finals in 61 we played it again in 1963 but we we then got into the we were top of the ladder in 65 but we were knocked off by is and they came up from fourth position to beat us in the, uh, in the, uh, in the grand final.
1: Um, Ross, you played a lot of games during the, those first couple of years of your career, but you weren't known as, as, I guess, a star of the team until that kind of 66, 67 period. What, what was it that kind of made the difference in, in your career that kind of you went from being yeah, a regular to a star at that point?
3: Well, I don't want to agree with you being a star. But anyway, uh, I think the uh, the change was uh, that Alan Jeans gave uh, two things. One is I think I matured and developed as a player and understood what was required uh, to play the game. But then also in 1965, Alan Jeans gave me a different role. He gave me a more uh, fulfilling role. He recognised that I had a, a certain level of fitness which would allow me to be a run-with player and to, and to rode for the majority of the game. And so... I would probably stay on the ball for 75, 80% of the game, but running with my opponents who the theory was, that Alan's theory was that they would lead me to the ball. My fitness and strength would allow me once I got there to win the ball. And and he was proven right. And I think in 1965, I was given that, started that task. uh, And then 66 developed it even more. And obviously in 67, I had one of my best years. Probably, probably
1: an say, understatement. You, I, an, an understatement to say that you weren't a star and you want to want to brown <laughs> Just, just a little bit humble, maybe. Oh, maybe.
3: But look, I, uh, I, I think um, uh, the results uh, speak for themselves. And if, if people want to put that uh, that uh, status, that's fine. I'm happy to uh, to go along with that. Particularly, you know, in my uh, later years.
2: <laughs> so you started basically the same time. James as coach, um, you only played under him. How, how was the – I mean, you see coaches changing so often these days, and even back then they changed quite often. How was it playing under one coach for the entire career? Did, is it something you think that either it helped you with the consistency or do you think maybe a change at some point could have made a, some sort of difference to yourself?
3: Well, we'll never know the latter. But I think what St Kilda had at the time was that it had stability and in the previous decade, they'd had a range of coaches uh, and uh, CEOs and uh, presidents. And I think that uh, uh, the combination of Graham Huggins as the president, uh, Ian Drake as the secretary, and Ellen Jeans as the coach, I think they worked very well as a team. And there was uh, certainly some consistency within uh, the way in which the, the club was operated. And I think that that gave us the stability. Uh, and they went out and... Uh, I think they strategically look for players uh, and uh, say so the recruitment of people like Daryl Baldock, and then the recruitment of Ian, Ian Stewart. Uh, the local players like Carl Dietrich uh, and Jimmy Reid and uh, Jeff Moran, and those other players complemented uh, the recruiting strategy.
0: Can you take us through your memories of 66? and We obviously know how significant a day it was for us. And, and I guess reflecting on the whole era, under Alan Jeans, we made the finals nine times, five preliminary finals, three grand finals. Are there is there a part of you that feels we, we should have won more than one in that era?
3: I, I think yes. Uh, at, at 65, I think we're probably the better team uh, for the year, but Essendon were too good on that particular day and they had the momentum going up. I think 65 gave us the experience that allowed us to win in 66, that when we played in in 65, the second semi-final, which we won to go into the grand final, that was only our third uh, final. We played 61 in the first semi-final, similarly in 63, and then 65 would play the second semi, go straight to the grand final. So we're really relatively inexperienced in comparison to the Essendon players uh, at that era because they'd won in 62. And the majority of them continued on and played in 65. So they knew what finals was all about. And we were, I suppose, in comparison, uh, relative newcomers to finals experience. And I think it's very important to have that finals experience. So that gave us, I think, a little bit more strength uh, and conviction to go into 66. Uh, We were stronger then. I think Gene's made a very strategic decision when he picked... um, uh, Bingley to play on Tuddy, who, who had uh, kicked seven goals in the second semi uh, for us in that uh, in that year. Uh, and then we curtailed some of their better players uh, and uh, we were able to uh, win that uh, that game.
1: Ross, there are a lot of stories, obviously, about the legend of, of that day and um, so many great players, obviously, being the only team to have, have done it for us. But Daryl Baldock, tell us a little bit about Doc the man and the player, and, and just how bad was his injury on, on the day of that grand final?
3: Well, I'm not I'm really aware of the, the nature of his injury, but Bulldog had, a, he had an amazing influence on our team, uh, and he, he was the focal point of uh, our, our forward line. Together with Cowboy Neil. Cowboy kicked five goals on that game, and he, was, he could have kicked about seven or eight uh, had he kicked accurately. But Bulldog was a focal point of our, of our attack. He was a player who was only short in stature. He was probably no more than about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but he was able to hold down that centre-forward position or centre-half-forward position very well. And if the ball got on the ground, you knew that Bulldog would keep the ball himself between his opponent and the ball and be able to win it uh, on more occasions. Uh, he, he was just a... A courageous player, uh, he just had superb skills on either side of his body. He was one of the few players in that era uh, to be uh, to have uh, to be able to kick left and right foot, to handball left and right hand, etc. So that that's what made him a little bit a, bit special. Uh, and as a person, he was a, a honest uh, person. He had a, he was a person of integrity. And in playing, he had a very strong work ethic out on the ground.
2: Yeah, thinking back to when you won the Brownlow, um, it was a very different thing back then compared to what we see these days. Uh, presented on grand final day in front of the grand final crowd and the, yourself in the, I think, second, second and third just come up as well. Um, there might have been a couple of other rewards also given on the same day. We saw Stuart win at 65-66 when we did play in the game. 67 nights that we didn't play in the grand final. How, how do you think... You may have gone if you had picked up one of those other 65 or 66 and then moving into the game afterwards. What, how do you think your preparation might have gone with that?
3: I think the preparation might have been pretty much the same, but the psychological pressure might have been a bit different. So, uh, you know, you've got to really compliment someone like Ian Stewart who played unbelievably well in that uh, grand final in 66. Here he was, the second one, his second Brownlow medal. And he was one of, the, one of our best players on, on, on the day. He just had an ability to, to produce when it was required. It's a, certainly the, uh, the uh, in my day, the, uh, the count of the Brownlow was on, on through the radio. Mm. And uh, it certainly wasn't uh, at Crown Casino as it is today. And uh, uh, the counties are far more, it was very more lackluster then.
0: You had a, a, a series of great seasons after the Brownlow, but 1971 in particular, you and a lot of the, your teammates starred. Uh, I did ask my father, who watched you play a lot of football, oh, if you could ask Ross any question. And he said, how did we lose 71? So I guess I put that question to you as to uh, how we lost 71. But also, I guess the second part of that, in, in 72, you missed the prelim and we had a lot of guys that were injured or banged up but played really well against Carlton in that prelim and narrowly lost. So uh, that was obviously a a very good team as well.
3: Yes. Well, 71 was probably a missed opportunity. We just, we weren't able to capitalize on the lead. We had at uh, three quarter time and a guy called Bob ketty seemed to just pull a few marks out of, out of the air. He had hardly got a kick for the previous three quarters and just seemed to find the ball uh, in that last quarter, unfortunately. And, uh, uh, we frittered away one, and that was—I think that—that that was the one that. Well, to be honest, the uh, Hawthorne in that year had played. it. We played Hawthorne twice. They'd beat, uh, they beat—they uh, beat us in the second semi-final, and then we played them again uh, in the grand final. So, in some ways, it—they um, uh, probably on the balance of probabilities, they're more likely to win. But we nearly—we nearly pinched it. But uh, we did very well to to do as uh, well as we did. And as far as the Uh, missing the prelim final in 72 unfortunately I got a a groin injury uh, in the in the previous game and so and I even had two weeks because it was a drawn game and it gave me an extra week but it it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, sufficient to allow me to play in fact when I went to Perth uh, to uh, coach Subiaco I went over there to do a postgraduate study that was the driving force of me going to Perth but uh, I didn't know until probably January, February that I was going to be able to play over there because it just took a while to to recover from it.
1: Should you have won the Brownlow in, in 71? You had a couple of teammates that, that might have pinched some votes from you in the end, but um, you had a pretty good year that year. Yes, I did. And
3: in fact, I, uh, I spoke to John McIntosh, who uh, unfortunately passed away late last year. And uh, it was only about a month before, and I rang him and uh, had a chat to him. And I said, Mac, I said, I'd probably cost you a brown and you cost me a brown because there was uh, one round to go. McIntosh had 18, Stewart had 18, and Smith had 16. And I thought, well, look, if neither of them get one, I could get three and knock them both off. Well, the only one who got any votes was Stewie. Uh, <laughs> to get his... To get his uh, so that's why I said to Mac, I think i cost you a brown low. we And it's a bit like... Um, uh, the Melbourne players uh, last year that a number of them were playing so well and scored so well, but they probably in, in many ways, they they cut the the options for each of them.
2: Now, one thing you were involved with as well was the move from Junction Oval to Moorabbin. So on, on a personal level, how did you find the transition from the one to the other? Did, and we know they're, they're quite different grounds. Um, not sure how what year the local showers came in, but what was it like in the transition between the two?
3: Well, from a personal point of view, I, I was very happy because Grandma was just up the road from where I lived in Hampton. Uh, and previously I had to go uh, to the St Kilda Junction. I remember when I was first recruited, I, I didn't have a car at the time. I had to take the train and, and walk down to the Junction Oval. It was a, a bit difficult to get to. Uh, but moving from... The Junction, Oval, to i think was fairly, fairly easy, uh, and the transition was good from the point of view that the the club got us involved in the, in embracing Rabun as a as our home home ground. Uh, and for example, I spoke recently to some of the players about how we as there was it must have been about 20 of so us all lined up in a line, uh, going walking up and down the ground picking up pebbles. So the the ground was being top dressed. So that they didn't in those days they didn't have the uh, the rolling out of the grass. They, they actually sowed the grass with seeds. And so we had, prior to that, prior to the seeding of the ground, we went and picked up all the pebbles off the ground so that it made it a lot uh, cleaner uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for the green. So anyway, uh, by getting us involved as players in, in the activities, uh, we became part and parcel of the transition to Moravan. And then when 55,000 people came to the first game, Uh, And we won it against Collingwood. Uh, That was really the start of us uh, having some very good football. And we finished off in 65 as being playing off in the grand final.
0: Now, you kind of touched on it, heading to Perth for a postgraduate degree and spending some time with with Subiaco. So I guess that was a catalyst for the move. And then coming back in 75, was that just simply a case of being the end of that study period and you are able to come back and have another year?
3: Yes, yes. And I was also offered a an assistant coaching role to Alan Jeans. And I thought that was a, a good progression in, in um, I guess, uh, my transition from playing to probably coaching. Uh, and there was an offer to of when Alan was ready to, to step down that I would be uh, given the, the, the coaching role. Uh, and then, fortunately or unfortunately through the year, we had a number of injuries and Jeans uh, said to me one night, he said, I think you're going to have to place with So. I had played. I think it was in halfway through the halfway through the uh, the year we uh, played, and uh, well, actually, I was out on the ground uh, most of the time. But uh, the, I was lecturing at a time, and the students were having a bit of fun, and they they they, they took a bet to see whether I'd get a Brownlow vote in that in that year. Well, I did, so <laughs> I surprised myself.
1: Is there any were there any any wages or or anything with the with the students?
3: No, no, no.
1: That, that was their own bit of fun. Yeah. What was um? So so, Darren mentioned that I guess the study period in uh, in WA and, and your time at at Subi. But what was, I guess, what was the 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 reason behind the move? I mean, it, it seems like you probably kept could have kept going for another couple of years uh, with the club first. But why why then? Why in '73 did did you make that move?
3: I got to the stage in my professional career. I remember football was only part-time, and and so therefore our our career was pretty important. And I felt that I needed higher qualifications to uh, to, uh, keep my job and also to, I guess, to to get promotion within the lecturing field. Uh, And so I was offered a a postgraduate scholarship uh, from the University of Western Australia to go over and uh, study in, in education, in physical education, uh, and so that, that was the opportunity for me to go there, and that was the, foot playing football was the means to to the end of getting the, the higher degree, uh, and so I studied full-time for two years uh, and then came back at the end of it after having uh, successfully completed a Master of Education degree. So you
2: captained the club 70 to 72, but in 72 you also captained the state. Um, how was the feeling of, basically being told, okay, you're leading your state once we go into battle against all the other states. when in, I'm assuming it was the Carnivals that year. And just the, the honour of being pretty much picked as the number one player in the state to lead your team. I
3: don't know about being the number one player, but I was certainly honoured to, to be elected captain. And uh, also, you've got to note that Alan Jeans was the coach at the time. And I think that Alan wanted somebody... Uh, who would, I guess, uh, epitomise the things that he was trying to sell to the, to the team. Uh, and we had a very good working relationship as uh, uh, captain and coach at St Kilda over a long period of time. I had great respect for Alan uh, and uh, I think he, he, was, he was keen for me to be captain and uh, I was one of, I think, three St Kilda players who were in the team. Travis Pays, Barry Lawrence uh, were also in the team as well.
0: The Final one for me, I guess a two-parter. Your relationship with Alan Jeans has been well documented. It's often been suggested that you might have been a you know a favourite son or one of the the coach's very favourite studio, your your coachability, if you will. But uh, when you then took on the role coaching in in seventy seven, did you base a lot of that off what what Alan had sort of brought to the the table? And did you ever copper spray from him during your career? Yeah, uh, well, I
3: don't I copped copper spray. And... But every now and again, there might have been a comment uh, made. But I think he's also very good at uh, congratulating. I can remember one day I, I was chasing somebody It was in, in the final and uh, uh, I put him under a little bit of pressure and it stopped him from kicking a goal and he sort of pulled him out. And, and Gene's made a point of saying, well, well chased. So I think that uh, he had a good balance of, uh, of criticising as well as giving it positive uh, reinforcement. Uh, and I've forgotten the first part of the question. Uh,
0: your, your coaching <laughs> philosophy, obviously, oh, going into coaches, 77. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, in some ways, it, um, I found it difficult to to coach after Alan uh, because if I was if I was critical of some of the things that we've done, I, I felt as though I was criticising Alan. Uh, and uh, I found that difficult to cope with. Uh, so I had to sort of, I guess, choose my words carefully or choose the way in which I sort of expressed them so that it wasn't reflecting on Alan, and remember that Alan was in the background, he wasn't certainly, he was at the club, but he was in the background and I didn't want to be seen to be criticising Alan or for the press to to find that I had said something which was contrary to what Alan had, or Alan's philosophy. But in the main, we have similar philosophies. We had different ways of going about it. Uh, uh, I, Alan was um, a bit more volatile than I was, I'm a more quiet, quieter approach. Uh, and more studious approach.
1: Ross, last one for me, but going back to that day in, in 1966, where on the ground were you when when Barry Breen's wobbly punt uh, wobbled through the, the point post and, and uh also when you know when Bob Murray took that market at the end of the game. But um, what are your overarching memories of those final minutes or seconds and, and when was there a moment before the siren went that you actually thought we've got this?
3: No, because it was still we're still in flux, I guess, because uh, actually, I just happened to see it uh, other, the other night on, on television, and uh, I just—I um, was—I w- I remember being behind Brenny when he kicked, he kicked the goal because there was the ball, there was a ball up, and he he grabbed the ball uh, and uh, and kicked it. I was around there and saw that it went through, uh, and then there was a um, kick. The ball was kicked out, and, and it was kicked out to Tuddy, and there didn't—it was nobody seemed to. To, um, to go over to Tuddy. So I had to start running for him. Uh, and so I was round about at centre-half forward when Bob Murray marked the ball. Uh, so I was round about there, and then they, he kicked it out to Alamara, who marked it just uh, as the siren sounded. So uh, the thing that I can remember most uh, was the actual sound of the, of the crowd. You know, when the scores became level, I have never heard a louder sound then i did uh, on that that particular occasion when the scores became level and then once again when when we got the behind it was just an unbelievable sound that the the sound was reverberating in and out of the uh, of the stadium it was like it was bouncing off the stadium it was ricocheting around the, around the stadium and that that's my uh, great recollection from that occasion
2: and yeah finally the the honors that have come after your career you've been Named in the Hall of Fame, secured a team of the century. How, how do those sort of things sit against winning a premiership, winning the Brownlow? Are they are they right up there with that in the same sort of category?
3: Yes, I think the uh, well, it's 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 recognition, I guess that you that you have received. And uh, what I like about going to the uh, Hall of Fame function is that uh, they're generally only the Hall of Fame members who go there, and there is there's a genuine respect for one another. Uh, from, your, uh, from your players of the era. And fortunately, we generally sit, I generally sit with someone like a Peter Bedford uh, and players in my era, and there is a, a genuine respect for one another and for what you've achieved. Uh, so that's good. But ultimately, what we play for is, is, to, win a, is to win a grand final. Uh, and fortunately, I'm one of 20 players at St Kilda who have got that premiership medallion. Uh, and that's, that's what we strive for. That's what the, the guys today are striving for.
0: Ross, we long for the day when you, you get that company. It, it's undeniable to say you're one of the greatest players that, that ever played for the club. So uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate all you did. And, and thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you. And thanks for the invitation.
0: Ross Smith there, Brownlow medalist, two-time Best and Fairest winner, Premiership player. Uh, he's got a CV that uh, everybody would absolutely die for and not many people that have played for our club can boast what he has against his name and a terrific speaker as well. So great to, to have him join us on the program and, and we've been able to chat to a few members of that premiership team now and we've got a couple of others in the pipeline. So looking forward to, to those opportunities a, a bit later on. We look ahead to Matty's match, of course, uh, for um, Maddie Rewalt's vision and make sure you, uh, if you get the chance, if you head along to the game or to the ground to make your donations and support that cause wear purple, uh, uh favourite colour and, and support that all the way so um, a tremendous cause and for the Rewild family obviously Jack's still running around uh, unfortunately with that, with the Tigers um, and Nick obviously doing some terrific stuff in the, in the media so a, a great cause and, and long may it continue but we take on Richmond this week and from a Tigers perspective looking at those matches I reckon we've either been Terrific or terrible for probably the last five years against Richmond, it's been one or the other. We haven't had many games where you walk away from a Richmond game going, "Oh, we were all right today. We lost, but we we, had it. we were okay." It's usually either a blowout one way or a blow out the other. We've had some amazing wins and some dreadful losses. Probably the only performance I'd say in it that falls into that serviceable category was the semi-final we lost to them, where we were, yeah, were okay mm. in that game, but that's probably the only one. So do we get the good one or the bad one this week? The Tigers are a little bit different to, to probably what we would... We're used to seeing with them clearly their they're midfield without Dusty and, and Dion Prestia and Kane Lambert's changed. There's no Basha Houli there anymore, and Voston's injured, but they're playing two rucks, which they haven't always done. Obviously, Bolter spending a fair bit of time forward. Um, yeah, Soldo obviously stepping into the centre square. Their defence with Terence and other bits and pieces. So it's a slightly different Richmond, still a very well drilled. Uh, well set up team. And I think if you look at their fortnight, they were terrific last week against the giants. And even in round one, when you put it in perspective, they led Carlton by four goals early in the last quarter, um, given the form Carlton's in uh, that's, that's handy. So they're, they're going to be a tricky team to beat, but in saying that there's some vulnerabilities there. And I don't think it's a bad matchup for us. If we, if we take our chances, I'd love to have the likes of Clark and Jones in the middle. We, we won't. Um but certainly Ryder frees us up a bit with Jack Hayes, who's been named on the extended bench, and I hope they keep him in and play him forward. Um... Yeah, so the, the changes as it stands, Cooper Sharman goes out of that squad. Uh, he was a sub last week. I assume that's to, to guarantee he gets a game, but it is annoying that he's not in there. Uh, they bring in Ryder. Howard comes back from the, the COVID protocols. Ben Long into the extended squad who was held over last week. And Dean Kent, who actually finished the Sandringham game injured, he had heavy strapping and, and ice on the thigh last Sunday. So I'm, I'm surprised that he's come up on a, on a reasonably quick turnaround. And I still will die on this hill. I understand the Cooper Shum and there might be issues around training attitudes and things like that, but if he's not in that lineup on that extended squad ahead of somebody like Dean Kent, then uh, yeah, I'm not standing here or, or sitting here, but um, that's the lineup uh, heading into the Richmond game. And it is a side that can win. Uh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you sort of go player by player and look and go who, Matchups are and that sort of thing, and you're sort of thinking a majority of those players can beat their direct opponent. That's that they either break even or, I mean, we've got a couple that you sort of look okay, they're gonna they they got a big job ahead of them, but others you'll go that that they should beat their player. We're ahead in that situation. Um, you'd say that you talk about Revolt being there, but he's been named on the extended bench. I'm I'm a little. Thinking that, that he's that probably not going to get up. He, mm. he's a he wasn't today, meant to.
1: With that thumb,
0: yeah, he, he wasn't meant
1: was to be there. even close this week. So, well, if he's a um, test and
0: he's had a setback, you'd, you'd think surely he'd miss. You'd, you'd yeah. imagine.
1: Whether
2: they risk him as a the medical sub just to be part of the game, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of, that's a bit of a risk in itself.
0: Devil's advocate, um, he's pretty much finished. Would we prefer he does play? Well,
2: maybe. It, it, Maybe. Could be could be worth it, but then again, he'll come out and kick six. It's yeah, it's
0: true. Just the sort of thing that
2: would happen to us. That's that's yeah, that's just as likely to happen. So that would be um, so St Kilda, <laughs> and, and there you go. I can, I can <laughs> forecast the future with that one for today, if you like. So um, yeah. So it's it's on paper, it's you. you it looks good. We're coming back from Perth, though. That that's your curse. That's that's usually the curse that you cop. The you always you somehow always end up with one of these top teams after we come back from Perth or um, come back from Perth on a six day break or something or it's yeah just a, a luckily it's a Sunday as well so we it's not too bad in that way but it'll be interesting to see how we are for the run we've um, got a couple of fresh plays back I guess um, so it's a definitely winnable but we won't be able to do it just playing 20 minutes of footy, pretty much like we have the last two rounds. It's going to have to be, you've got to play at least three quarters of football to win this game.
1: Once again, there are some question marks around the selection. You've, you've already mentioned um, Cooper Sharman, who, who's out this week. Tom Highmore is another one who just, just seems to be on the outer for for whatever reason. Um, an interesting one who's come in this week. I think we all expected that Doug Howard would, would come straight back in as, as soon as he, as soon as he could, uh, regardless of, what Dara Joyce did on the weekend I thought he was again very service Yeah he was okay yeah uh, I don't think he really did anything mm-hmm. wrong um, no. but Ben Long is is an interesting one because obviously if Jack Hayes plays forward then you've already got Max King you've got Membry, you've got Butler and Higgins um, does Ben Long play a forward defensive type role as as we've I guess become accustomed to over the last couple of years or and, and Again, a little bit out of left field. Do you put him in the middle? I mean, Richmond aren't the Richmond of previous years. You've already mentioned they're missing Dusty. They're missing a couple of those kind of prime movers as we've seen over the last few years. But yeah, they've got guys like Shea Bolton coming through that's dynamic and impacting through the middle. You know, They're fast. They're powerful. Um, Dylan Grimes comes back in for them down back, which is a, a huge in for them. Uh, just straightens them up immeasurably. And I think he's probably one of the most underrated players yeah. possibly in the history of the game, not just in, in this current team, but of all time. Um, but Ben Long in the middle, we're, we're, we're missing Zach Jones dearly. We, we miss him, mm-hmm. for his mm-hmm. pace, his power, his grunt, um, his hard work, the, the defensive stuff that he does as well. Gresham's obviously back in there and, and being dynamic and, and being quick and winning the ball as he does, but you know he's still not there yet. We, we saw in the week and he, he won the ball a lot, but, disposal efficiency was through the floor i think it was something like 32 percent or something for for the game and you know he's clearly not still 100 and that'll take him a little while you know i'm not saying drop jade gresham by any means but but he needs some help in there from a pace perspective from a, a an athleticism perspective from you know a, a dynamicness perspective and i just wonder if there's maybe a hint of of a midfield role for, for ben long this week
0: yeah, potentially. Uh, if we look at that extended bench, so uh, we've gone – so Joyce is on the extended bench, so he won't play if, if Howard does. Uh, but then you've got Hayes, Crouch, Long, and I'm trying to think who else they've put on there. Uh, Mason uh, Lee, Wood.
2: Lean it. Um, yeah, Mason Burns. Wood is
0: on there and Burn. So yeah. if you, you'd probably take out Joyce. I'd probably yep. suggest that Line it might miss, so that would be two. And then it comes down to – yeah, whether because Ben Long's on there, so does he play? Because Crouch will play. Um, yeah, so I think the, the definite's on the extended bench are that Crouch will play and Joyce won't. Um, and I then yeah, Burns,
1: I think Burns stays
0: in. Possibly he, he certainly needs a lift, but um, but yeah, I think it, I think he'll stay in there. Yeah, he, he may even would...
1: end up being our sub or
0: something. Potentially, I Potential. yeah. We, yeah. We
1: spoke about him the other week about and
0: Kent about, is on the extended bench as well, who probably yeah. misses. Yeah.
1: Burns is that one that we spoke about, you know, it's always, it's always a guy like him that mm. you have one or two bad games and, and they get dropped, but then you look yeah. at other guys um, that might have four or five under par performances or, or even more and stay in the team and, and still have real serious roles within the, within the team each week. And I, I, I think it would be a real shame if we penalize Ryan Burns at this stage of his career and Agreed. Yeah. potentially dropping him now when he's, he's kind of, yeah, he's won his place in the team. He's he's earned the spot off the back of his his year last year. Um, that yes, he started the year slow. We we know that, but we also know how much he has to offer and and what he can bring to our our squad and our team in terms of things that you know attributes that other members of the squad don't have. Um, and I think it would be a real shame and and it could do real damage to his confidence if if after one or two you know poor games that that he's the one to go out ahead of potentially other more experienced guys that that you expect more from regardless every week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem. He, he hasn't got that um, history behind him yet. And that's, that's where he kind of gets these games. He can build it up, but he's the sort of player that's not going to be picked ahead of a seasoned player who has had the all the years experience and, going against in against a Richmond who have those few midfielders who just, just that bit I guess a bit more mongrel in him and I mean that, that he could be being replaced by long. I mean you could be on the ball saying that he's going to play in the center just for that little bit of aggression and a little bit of mongrel to just just get in and under him. Um because if you start getting beaten up by him in the middle, they've got your they've got you done straight away. He so plays pretty ben little, plays pretty a well little bit of aggression season. in the middle yeah, yeah a little bit, that little bit of aggression just to say hey we're here we we're, we're going to put it up to you that that could be what longs in there for this week
0: And if we play with Hayes, then we end up with a similar structure to the one they have, Richmond. So they'll have Soldo and uh, Nankervis, and then they'll have, obviously, Bolter, potentially Rewalt and Lynch in the forward line. So if we go Membry, King, Hayes, and then have, obviously, Ryder and Marshall rotating through that role. So it depends if they want to have that. Um, You don't want to drop Hayes, obviously, but... um, it might happen. We'll, um, we'll obviously see. It's not not impossible that they do that. Uh, Ryder was was solid last week, and he'll definitely play. He's been been obviously named forward. And then they'll they'll sort of balance it out from there. I mean, out of Sandy last week. I mean. I thought our best player was probably Windhager in that game. He had 23, 24 touches. So he, I think he, he should debut pretty soon. He gives a bit of something midfield forward. Owens was solid, probably had 20, got probably more late than, than early. Ryder was, was good. Um, Dean Kent. Kicked a goal early and then got injured, so I guess that's why I'm a little bit surprised. Um, Leo Connolly, probably his best game since coming back from the concussion, got a bit of it off half-back. Drifted late, out, sort of out of the game. Max Heath showed a bit in the ruck. Um, Matthew Ellison had a, a bit of a stinker, unfortunately. He had seven kicked on him uh, by Mitch Brown, um, sort of on the last line of defence. So, And I think I'm probably missing a couple. I was probably Paris and... Um, uh, Josiah Kyle that, that did little bits and pieces out of last week. But we held a lot of emergencies over. So Ben Long didn't play. Highmore didn't play because they were in Perth. Sharman didn't play because they were in Perth. So um, we'd like to get a few guys back. Obviously, Oscar Adams is suspended uh, down at that level for his little uh, driving indiscretion. So hopefully he's back soon enough. But, yeah, I think it's it's a winnable game for us in terms of, you know, the the matchup. Um 50 or, or, or sort of close to it but yeah i'm not sure exactly how good richmond are yet uh, whether they're still somewhere in the mix i think they're okay certainly but um i think we'll find out a lot on sunday how good they are but also how good we are um it'll be a bit of a bit of a challenge
2: yeah no, I, I feel like both teams aren't giving too much weight the moment either um you look at the lineups and you've got Jack Higgins and Shane Edwards named as the centre half forwards. <laughs> it's 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 a little bit of I reckon there's a bit of, bit to play out on the list before they even get out there Sunday. It, it's as so many different ways that I think that I don't think either team down up anywhere near like what they named. It's I think there's a little bit of yeah bit of toing and froing that's going to happen before the before we actually get out there. Was it Definitely. Parker you
1: you you watched Sandy last week mm-hmm. you were calling mm-hmm. that game? We, obviously we know we know that they are an understrength Sandringham team. We know that yeah. they'll be seeing a lot of kind of our our second stringers as well. Yeah. Um and and we know that kind of coming up against that mob is incredibly tough any any time but but especially under those circumstances. Um can you can you start to take anything from that game for Sandy or is it is it just too early and impossible? under that circumstance?
0: Probably probably a bit too early. Uh, If you balance it out, at at VFL level, when you've got aligned teams playing against each other, so Casey had 16 Melbourne players, Sandringham had nine St Kilda players playing and four of them were first year players. So... um, it does create an imbalance, particularly given Melbourne are the, the premiers and the like. So I think for Sandy, if that game had been against, say, a, a non-aligned team, if they were playing Port Melbourne or Williamstown or whatever, and you got a bit of a feel for it off that, that might have been a little bit different. So Jake Batchelor, obviously, with the handling that side of the moment. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to get a little bit of a look at him. Obviously, not going to have, hopefully, not going to have Ryder in the ruck all season. So um be how they balance that. With with Max Heath and things like that, so I think they'll be okay. Um, yeah, so so jury's out. We'll see them. I think they've got the Gold Coast in the next couple of weeks. So um, yeah, we'll see how they fare in that for mine. But um, yeah, that was that's the the views looking ahead towards Richmond. Each week we do that's so St Kilda um, there's always nominations. Um, I know you guys spoke a bit about Dan Hannabury last week, um, obviously confirmation that he's got to go in for surgery. So they say he'll miss two months, but it really doesn't matter what they, they put up there. It's um, largely irrelevant. Um, yeah, I, I guess, and look, it's not his fault necessarily. He's trying hard to get back and don't hold anything against him personally. Clearly it's retrospectively a very poor decision, but a lot of people said it was at the time. Um and now I guess i have got to de- decide whether they pull the pin, whether they persevere with that. But my That's So St Kilda just relates to the big picture of St, St. Kilda-Sydney relations. So we know that they've got big-name draw cards off us in the past, like Lockett and Hall and even Craig O'Brien and players like that. Um, coming back the other way, we've had Schneider and Dempster and obviously Membry. So we've had some wins too. But I think if you look at McCartan versus Hanabry, Nothing to do with each other in terms of the trade, but it does sum up that history. So we spend literally millions of dollars on Dan Hanabry to play maybe 11 games for us, uh, ruins our chances of recruiting other players, doesn't turn into what we needed to be on field, bust. Sydney spends nothing on Paddy McCartan, who was a number one draft pick at our club, mind you, and they're going to get more out of him probably this year than we've ever got out of Dan Hanabry and ever will. and that's so St Kilda that we spend a fortune on a star and get nothing. They spend nothing on a project and get plenty. So that's, that's so St Kilda.
1: But they go up nothing to get Tom Hickey in the ruck as well. Yeah,
0: so. that's right. <laughs> but luckily he
2: went via West Coast. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was going to be a three-parter. Luckily one of them has been scratched already and I'm hoping that means that things come in three and all three of them don't mm-hmm. end up happening pretty much relates to what we were talking about before one dusty hasn't come back we mm-hmm. were talking last week saying that he was going to come back and it, or announce a retirement and have a last game and have 53 touches and kick six or something <laughs> against us and just go out on a go out on a massive high and then jack rewatt come in and kick six against us on the back of us coming back from perth it was just a it seemed to be maybe a perfect storm that was going to cause us to be seeing the result we saw against them last year, which it would just be us that all of a sudden all this just happened and it all just basically fell away from us. That hopefully, that now the dusty one's gone, we think that Jack may not play, and let's get rid of that Perth curse. Mm-hmm. Let's win coming back from the road. but it would have been. So St. Kilda of all those things had fallen into place when you look at it. That,
0: Very would, much, be, uh. that would have been
1: so <laughs> St. Kilda. Um, another thing that 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 is so St. Kilda and, and has been covered, I guess, uh, fairly extensively on on socials and and uh, St Kilda fan socials over the last couple of days is the uh, the Jake Bowie uh, career yeah, sure. evolution mm-hmm. at, at Melbourne. Obviously his his father, Brett, uh it was 12 games short of allowing us to to take Jake as a, a father-son selection. Um, and I thought a really interesting tweet from, uh, from Bruce Eva, who was on the, the program last year. Uh, so after Brett Bowie debuted, it took him 238 days to earn his first win at the club. Jake debuted uh, about 243 days ago now, so just about that range. Has never lost nine games, nine wins. <laughs> Two rising star One of them them's a flag. Two, two <laughs> rising star nominations and a premiership. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. I reckon he's got his old man already.
3: Yeah, well, that's typical.
0: Yeah, that, that is so St Kilda because, I mean, we, we've had horrendous – no side's benefited less from father-sons than, than we had. We've only had a couple historically. Chad Davis, who was just okay. Bailey Rice, which didn't work out, but – yeah, Brett Bowie. He was a really good player for us, and had a few injuries, and just falling short of a hundred games. It's a, uh, it's a real disappointment. I think our best chances are people like Spider Everett's son, Frankie Peckett's boys, maybe, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, Milne potentially. Yep. Yeah, Rune so we'll, um, three. yeah, hopefully down the track. But yeah, we we had a horrendous run with the uh, with the father sons over the journey. Um, you, you heard. Um, uh, Ross Smith talk about John McIntosh earlier. We didn't even get a play on his son um, Stephen Lawrence. I guess was okay for us. That's probably one. It
1: um, wasn't really a father son pick. No,
0: because I don't think yeah because I don't think he qualified his old man. when obviously Steve no. came by at Brisbane, so um, yeah. So we we didn't really benefit from it on that occasion either. A couple of the other awards that we we did mention. One is the Shannon Noll, which is not so much an award, but we ran that last year. Have we got an early enough? Timeline to award a Shannon Noel. I think we do. I
3: know how hard it can get. Live.
0: It's just probably tough to, to probably pin that on one person in particular. My Shannon Noel probably centres around Cooper Sharman. Now, clearly he's done something that's put himself out of the contention he was the catalyst for a late season revival last year most of us spent the summer thinking he would revitalize our forward line he can't get a game um and i'm putting that on him not necessarily on the club but come on cooper mate uh, if your issues are training attitude, straighten up pull your finger out you could be the difference just lift lift
2: yeah i'll just get out quickly before i got to get to that i was just having a thought because I was actually talking about it the other day that Plugger had four daughters. Yeah. And so St Kilda that he didn't have four sons and Sydney wouldn't have had a chance at any of them. <laughs>
0: True. <laughs> <They would> just <laughs> fallen short. So <laughs> yeah. That's it, it, very that's, Sydney. It didn't matter. In the yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So
2: um, yeah. I, I think, I think Dan Butler's got to step mm-hmm. up a little bit. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. He's, provided a little bit but we're still yet to see him get back to what he we saw him in his first year with us um, I don't know whether he snuck under the radar that first year and his outputs still pretty much the same sort of thing but he's just getting a bit more focus on him or something but it's we just need to get back to almost what we were getting at that point that that's' That small forward, I think he could be one in the firing line if we don't start seeing something from him very soon. Um, it's, I guess it's Richmond this week. Let's see if he shows up against the X team, as, as he has done before. I hope that isn't just a like a four-goal game that keeps him in for the side and he doesn't get a goal for another eight weeks. So, yeah, let, let, let's see a little bit of consistency over the next month from him. That, that, that would be what I want to see.
1: Well, I, I was going to go Jack Bartell for similar reasons to you and Cooper Sharman, mm. Marco, but I figure that's pretty rough to, to give a whack to two young blokes that can't get into the team at the moment. So instead I'm going to go the opposite way, and I'm going to go Brett Ratten this week. I think that Rats has shown enough that we know that he could he's a good coach. We know he can be a, a very good coach. Um, And we saw the impact that he had on the way we played football when he first came into the club, the type of footy that we played in, in 2020. Uh, And one of the biggest complaints that I have, and we've touched on it a little bit tonight, we spoke about it last week is this really stagnant, you know, take a mark, stop, think about it, have a look Mm. around, look for someone sideways, backwards, rats, go back to your roots. You know, you want to play attacking offensive football, uh, that is the way that the game is going back you look at the teams that are winning games of footy now they're taking the game on they're playing football they're not flooding the back line like you know Clarko brought in and and some of the other coaches in the the, the mid to, to, to late 2000s um you know, we're, we're heading back to free-flowing offensive football and take the game on you know you want to we've got players that want to do it give them the license to go and do it so rats lift mate
0: <laughs> and i'm going to put you on the spot because i sort of floated this and i think that, again there's enough body of work for us to do that we, we floated the idea of the jason blake award which was a quiet achiever and i reckon nick you gave votes to, to one so i might hold that one because i reckon you might use it but my jason blake award would go to probably somebody like jimmy webster um doesn't always get the i know you've spoken a lot about him as well h but probably still doesn't necessarily get the accolades of, of some of his teammates. And I think he's been a very fine re-addition to the list when he came back into the side last year. Um, and he's in good form to, to start the season. So he'd be mine. Uh, Nick, oh, you may want to nominate a different one, but um, is it your man who got the votes?
1: It, it is. It's, it's Dan... Mackenzie, uh, again, yeah, I think I mentioned him before. I thought that uh, that was probably his best game. He just goes about his business, just gets the job done. And, and to his credit, you know, took the game on and tried to make things happen. The other one that I do want to give an honorable mention to is Dara Joyce. And, and we mentioned him earlier. H, we spoke about him last week and we knew that as soon as Howard came back in, that Joyce would go out, but I'm not sure that in any of the games that Dara Joyce has played, he's really put a foot wrong. Um, and you know we spoke about it last week. I don't think he deserved to get dropped for uh, for Chip Frawley last year when Frawley came back. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I feel I feel sorry for him. I think he works he works very hard. He obviously trains really well. He's got the trust of his teammates as well, um, and that you know the coaching staff trusts him to to bring him in when someone like a, a Dougal uh-huh. Howard goes out. But I do wish at some point, without wishing ill on anybody else, that I wish that Joyce had a fair crack at it to to actually have a career.
0: Yep. I agree. H, have you got one for us?
1: Oh, I was about to say, I can probably put a rope
2: around a few names together in the way of um, Wilkie, Patton, Webster, um, throw McKenzie in. He gave us a bit of round of the back line as well. Just, just that small back group. They're, They're not big players. They, the, the way they work together to keep us in the game it, it was great um I, I I don't think I don't think we've got any players in their back line on the weekend or we've ever really got any sort of credit for any game they've really ever played from the from the main mainstream media sort of thing so it's a just seeing them work together it kind of reminds me of the earlier days of when Sam Fisher and Sam Gilbert and that just that sort of group, how when they were no, nobodies, basically they got started working together. They started basically pack attacking uh, um, the the offensive forwards and just just sort of knowing how they all work together. So as as a group, they are very underrated, and yeah, it, it's it, it's great to see. And basically, we get our. Big defender back this week. Uh, ben, who's going to, I guess, lead the back line. He's a chosen by the peers to be a leader down there, and yeah, hopefully you can just keep him in line again and keep him, keep him working together.
0: And um, yeah, glad Ben Patton got a mention too. I think he's, he's come back in nicely in the the last couple of weeks. That'll do us for this week's program. And I reckon we got through an entire podcast without actually mentioning. Jack Steele. So they'll be our final words of this week's podcast as we head into this clash with Richmond. Go Saints, Jack (laughs) Steele.